Richard Curtis, acclaimed screenwriter of Love Actually, Bridget Jones's Diary, and Four Weddings and a Funeral, now wants to move the nation with a somewhat less romantic subject, pensions. After co-founding Comic Relief in the 80s and organising the Live 8 concerts at the turn of the century, Curtis this year launched his Make My Money Matter campaign, which is calling on people to do good with their pension investments. In this IC interview, we discuss why he thinks investing in environmentally and socially responsible companies, or ESG investing, is also the financially responsible thing to do. I also hear his thoughts on the future of the film industry, and why he thinks people will still be going to the big screen after the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me for um, this week's IC Interview podcast. As first off, I'm sure most of our listeners will be wondering how the country's favourite director of romantic comedies got into the world of pensions. <laughs> well, it's a very good question. Um, you know, I... I mean, there's a long and a short answer. I'm going to give you a middle-length one, which is basically, you know, I've had a long career now in trying to, you know, do the best I can in terms of helping people with, you know, very tough lives. And set up Comic Relief in 1986. And you could sort of even though I still believe in it and work for it all the time, you can see that as my CSR moment. You know, it's to do with charity, it's to do with people giving money to other people to, you know, help brilliant projects. Um, I then, um, you know, became very interested in the MDGs and, um, you know, development aid and did the Make Poverty History campaign, the Live 8 concerts. And that was all about trying to sort of shift government attitude and expenditure, uh, you know, debt, trade, aid. And now I find myself in, you know, 2018, UN advocate for the sustainable development goals and really sensing a kind of change. I mean, particularly inspired by the fact that I've got, um, you know, teenage and 20-year-old kids to find that they're really interested in what they can actually do themselves in their Lives. I, I do feel that, that there's a sort of shift coming where people don't leave it to the government, don't leave it to other charities. A, what can I do? And you see it, you know, in the choices they're making about the way they travel, the cars they might buy. I mean, this is all of us, the food we eat, the clothes, all the worries about fast fashion and all that stuff. And um, I think it suddenly occurred to me that money was the next thing that actually the biggest bit of expenditure you've got is your bank account and pensions. And this was a way in which we could actually do something ourselves. And also it's such a huge amount of money that it's the answer to to the big sort of UN advocate question, which is how do you turn the billions into trillions, the millions into billions in terms of, you know, pouring money into things that will change the world. Um, and so I, you know, it's just the next answer in how we can really do the right thing. And then I listened to this extraordinary TED talk by Bronwyn King. I, do you know about her? Yes, I actually spoke to her um, earlier this year. Yeah, you know, and she was a, she's a cancer doctor spending every day of her life trying to cure people with cancer. Had a meeting with her financial advisor 
when she was about 34, said, where's my pension invested? And found out that, you know, three out of the top six of the things she was investing in were tobacco companies. And she'd actually sort of, you know, killed more people with cancer than she'd cured from cancer. So it really struck me that as a functional way to try to, um, you know, push things in the direction of ethical investment, businesses that will make a difference, curing the climate and everything like that. And this was a really big, interesting and exciting subject. So it's a pretty direct, even though 30 year <laughs> line between trying to do something about the famine in Ethiopia and now, you know, trying to see what people can do in their own lives to make a big change. Well, it seems for you, um, like Bronwyn, the um, cancer doctor, it took quite a few years of trying to make the world a better place before you realise the power of your own investments and pensions. I mean, how does a campaign aim to get other people more immediately engaged with where their money is being invested? Well, I think, you know, number one, uh, and I'm sure, you know, this isn't true of your listeners on the whole, but most people don't even realise their pensions are invested, and I fall into that most people category. Uh, You know, so one of them is just an awareness, just to say this is the situation. You know, you've got a pension. It's the biggest chunk of money that you've got. Where is it? And, you know, we've got this brilliant little film where they stuck a red chair in the middle of King's Cross and said to people, did you know your pension was invested? Most of them said no. And then they gave them two lists of, you know, things they might worry about, gambling, pornography, deforestation, all that kind of stuff on one, and said, would you prefer that? Or would you prefer, you know, renewable housing, medical research, um, renewable energy? And everybody, you know, said, oh, well, no, please, this is fantastic. Let me have my pension in that. So, You know, our number one thing is just to tell people their pensions are invested and then to encourage them to change them, say that it's a possible thing to do and then give all the reasons and some of the methods by which they could um, do that. It seems like most people would be concerned if they found out their pension was invested in bad places. Maybe is it a problem that everyone's idea of what a bad company is will vary from person to person. So how do you inspire a collective movement when each individual might have a different idea of what is ethical? I might not want to invest in oil, but I might be okay investing in tobacco. Likewise, my friend might be okay investing in oil, but not okay investing in tobacco. How do you kind of deal with those discrepancies? Yeah, no, look, I think no one said it isn't complicated. You know, it, it is quite complicated. But um, one thing is to, you know, actually excite people by new things they could invest in. I went to, I think it was Bridges Management, you know, and I heard about some of the things they were investing in, a brilliant sort of care home, um, a brilliant company that actually services um, wind farms, you know, puts the oil in the in the propellers, a brilliant company that's supplying really sustainable local food to schools and everything like that. So it's not about divestment only. It's about an opportunity to invest in interesting, exciting and profitable things. So, you know, there's that whole side rather than just having to make 
you know, choices of what you think is dark. Um, and then the other thing is just to, in a way, create an atmosphere where the pension companies are offering up things which are attractive and equally profitable um, in that area. So, in fact, the excitement becomes that you can move into good things without having to make all those mathematical choices yourself about those things that you want to divest from. And I think that one of the things we're trying to do, because we're working at all levels, public level, government level, and pension level, is to make is to create transparency so that everybody knows what it is that they're investing in easier and can make those choices. You know, and if someone thinks fossil fuels, you know, is a good thing, and there's lots of arguments, you know, that it will be those big companies which actually are at the very forefront of renewable energy as well. You know, they have all the systems. Well, then that's fine, and so be it, and that will become a public argument. Uh, but I don't think that people, you know, when people ask to make this change, uh, on the whole, they're not going to be presented with those sort of really tough choices about do you exactly want this or not and if you do it'll probably be like happened with us at comic relief it'll probably be the sort of finance person the financial committee and they can make that judgment and they'll make a good sober mature judgment we we changed our pension uh i mean our investments at comic relief um huge discussions about what should be in what should be out but eventually we reached the conclusion and we now make more money I mean, perhaps not during this COVID year, but we made more money in the 10 years approaching it than we had done when we were invested in everything. Mm. Well, so the money received from donations to Comic Relief was being invested? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because what we have a, at Comic Relief, we give a lot of grants that stretch over three years. So at the beginning of a three-year period, you would only give money for the first year, which meant that we had a lot of money in reserve that was then going to be spent. And, um, you know, again, you know, big, intelligent, passionate organization hadn't really thought about its investments. Uh, and I just hope that everyone, you know, listening to this will suddenly say, oh, where is my pension? That's really interesting. See, it as an opportunity, not a problem. I mean, if people do something about where the pension is invested um, and they want to the money to start moving um, what's the next step like how do people make money they make their money matter once they realise well, they want it to it, you know it's proving with some people it's proving harder with other, than with other people um, I mean we did a podcast uh, the other day called The Guilty Feminist um, what, what your podcast could be called the Guilty Capitalist. Uh, what do you, I don't know whether or not you consider any um, any gimmicky titles, but we got a, I got a brilliant sort of Instagram message from someone saying during the course of the podcast I changed my pension, and my job this week is to try and get my partner to do it too. Thanks for pointing out. So some people find it easy, other people you know, have found it harder and more complicated and you've got to be determined. I've changed my pension, um, you know, and a lot of pensions are also now, you know, you see it with Aviva, you're seeing it with BT. A lot of people are making these changes and so it is going to become easier. But the thing is, 
ask where your pension is, ask what the alternatives are. Particularly, I think this is going to apply to people working in companies whose pensions are not handled for them, but you know, are in the hands of the finance person there. And if a lot of people in a company say, we just want to know where it is, when we found out where it is, let's look at the options and then actually turn it into a subject of dialogue and then make the change when everyone is confident that they've found something which is going to deliver as good returns. So it's a question of asking the question, seeing what happens, and then I think most people will find that it's something that they can do. And the big thing here, you know, is that you know, I was so worried when I started that it was going to be, you know, money versus morals and value versus values and all that sort of thing. But that seems to be increasingly not the case. I'm sure there are examples where it is. But I think that, you know, the why not moment, I think BlackRock said the why not moment has arrived, that it's we're really seeing profitability in ethical pensions becoming very solid. I mean, yeah, we do kind of have a head start, I guess, in the move in pensions investments towards the ESG area because a lot of pension trustees are already investing in ESG, not necessarily because they want to do good, but because they think this will offer them better financial returns in the pension pot. I mean, so for you, with this campaign, is the priority on doing good, the ethical impact, or on the um, supposedly higher financial returns in ESG? I think the point of the campaign is to say that you can have both and. I I really think it is a both and campaign. And one of the points about these campaigns is that it sort of moves the needle to the point where that choice is increasingly easy because of the fact that things are moving in that direction you know and there are also questions as you know of sort of evaluation what constitutes esg how do you make sure that there isn't greenwashing that you're not making mistakes and all that kind of thing but this is all moving in the right direction and it's not going to move backwards i don't think you know the idea of sort of consumer ethics And people also, you know, within companies wanting their company to be doing the right thing. And, you know, as companies focus on gender equality and on diversity and on checking their supply chains, this actually becomes one of the easier things they can do. I mean, there is some evidence that ESG investments have done well and outperformed recently. But on the other hand, has it not been on the back of a very long bull market? And surely much of the enthusiasm for ESG is quite hypothetical. We have investors buying shares in green companies now because they think consumers will punish harmful companies more in the future. Do you think in the future enough consumers will really care enough about these environmental and social issues for that that to materialise? I mean, that is definitely my sense of the direction of travel. You know, it's been an amazing year, hasn't it, in terms of you can't ignore the fact that in terms of social movements, we've seen the climate strikes, we've seen the women's march, we've seen Black Lives Matter. There really is a feeling that people are starting to discuss these issues all the time. I mean, I was startled how 
much conversation during lockdown with me and everyone around the table was about these issues, you know, more than, I mean, a, a lot of conversation about my mother-in-law's hearing aid, um, a 93-year-old mother-in-law, 93-year-old hearing aid. Um, but, you know, otherwise we did have these serious conversations and it, it's become a big news story when people like Boohoo seem to be sort of conflicting with what they're saying and how they present themselves and then how they're actually behaving. And I think this news story is going to last. I mean, we, we, you mentioned Boohoo there and I mean, that is an interesting interesting instance of what I was just talking about because it did face these very serious allegations around its supply chain and yet it's just reported its results and its profits pretty much surged during the same year and while the conversation as you say does seem to be moving in the positive direction I think it raises the question whether that conversation turns into action and at what point do most consumers start responding differently to companies like Boohoo? Yeah, I, look, I think that's absolutely right. And I did read that. So um, I think that, you know, I I think it is going to happen more. I mean, you see the success of companies that base themselves like, you know, Allbirds and Patagonia and Innocent and various companies like that. It will become a growth area. And if you look at energy, I mean, I don't know what you see, but it does seem to me that the direction of travel is towards renewable energy, is towards electric cars, um, you know, and, and that's one of the great things about the SDGs and about trying to get to net zero, that there are these deadlines. And, you know, at the moment, Mark Carney is working on, you know, every company having a sort of temperature gauge where you say, well, we're a 1.5 degree company or a 3.5 degree company or something, and these things are going to become more and more rigorous, more and more well-known, more and more obvious to the public. Uh, so I, I, I can't see it going in the other direction, and I do think that um, if, if you were hoping for long-term investment, you know, wondering what's going to happen to your pension in 10 and 20 years, uh, I do think that those will be the safer companies the people with more of a long-term vision i mean you i'm sure know more about this than me but that's the feeling that i get that that is the direction of travel and it's very unlikely to go backwards well you mentioned you put your own pension money behind your convictions is all your pension in esg or impact investments now yeah yeah it is i think i've moved absolutely everything i mean and, and nobody's going to be perfect here and i think my I moved quite a lot of my money into Triodos, which is a very ethical bank, but it's very complicated to move all of it because I've got, you know, complicated relationships with my other bank. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a direction of it's a direction of travel. And have your investments done better since they moved into? Actually, they have. Yeah, they have. Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a good year. By the way, they are not very mighty investments. Um, I mean, I've been lucky to be involved in the phenomenon of Mr. Bean, but um, uh, yeah, they have. So is it all pensions for you um, from here on, or will you be returning to filmmaking? Ah. By the way, it's pensions and. Uh, I mean, I think we are looking, we just mentioned bank accounts, you know, and investments. 
as it were. It's just we decided at the beginning of Make My Money Matter that we had to have some focus and pension seemed like a really good place to start. And it's the campaign seems to be going well and we're suddenly having conversations with, you know, New Zealand and other countries where this is catching on. I hope that it is going to become an international movement. It's very strong in Australia. Um, but, well, uh, I'm old enough to collect my pension nearly. I'm turning 64 in about a week. So I'm hoping not to make too many more films. But, um, you know, I'm going to be focusing on, you know, trying to stay healthy and rewilding. By the way, did you see the David Attenborough film the other night? Have you watched that yet? Um, no, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. There was a really striking moment. I actually wrote it down. I froze. He said at one point, it's crazy that our banks and our pensions are investing in fossil fuel when these are the things that are jeopardizing the very future that we're saving for. Um, you know, I, I do think, you know, and there you got that's a film that's going to be watched by millions upon millions of people. Uh, and that's a pretty, um, pretty bold statement. I'm going to be watching more TV. That's one of the things that I'm going to be doing in this retirement of mine. Well, I think everyone's been watching more TV this year and um, going less in a cinema and watching much more films at home. And the coronavirus pandemic has had such a dramatic effect on the film industry. Um, I was wondering if you thought this will be a permanent change with less people going to the cinema, more people watching movies at home. And if you make any movies in the future, um, would you continue to focus on a cinema audience or would you be thinking about um, streaming services? I mean, I'm not a real expert on this. I think, you know, my, I, I can only say my personal instinct is that when this crisis is over, there will be, you know, I, I think a lot of people have missed the cinema. I mean, people are finding they can, um, you know, do without it. But certainly I watched The King of Staten Island my friend Judd Apatow's film, and I really wished I'd been watching it with an audience that was laughing as well, rather than just three of us. So I do think, and I saw Tenet in a cinema the other day, and I'm so glad I didn't watch it on TV. So uh, I, I, I do think that it's going to... Um, the cinema will certainly, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years till people have huge systems inside their houses. Cinema will still be an amazingly attractive, exciting. I mean, we'd be missing going out. Uh, I do think, you know, certain, the, the worry is that certain cinemas and particularly independent cinemas won't be there when we come back. And I think there has been a feeling that smaller, more independent films are going to find themselves more and more streamed. And also there's more money in Netflix to make those films in the first place. So I think we are in the middle of a shift. Uh, my confidence is that there will be great films to see in the cinema and that going to the cinema will still be, you know, a really exciting roller coaster night out. So uh, I, I suspect damage will be done. I suspect that it will accelerate a bit what was happening anyway. Uh, but I don't think it's the death knell for this amazing form of, you know, entertainment. I mean, people certainly have gone to see Tenet um, this year, and I'm sure lots of people will go back to the cinema once they had a chance to see the new James Bond film. But yeah. I mean, for the kind of films 
you're acclaimed for the more, I guess, middle budget romantic comedy and drama movies. Do you think there's still a place for them in the cinema, or will they have to shift to um, streaming and Netflix? Now, look, I I think they're the ones that are more likely to. Uh, I mean, I, romantic comedy with the stress on comedy. Comedies are so much better seen with other people around. Uh, so I think that comedies will actually survive strongly, you know, and when you get, well, you know, there's a direction in cinemas of offering lots of variety. When I was young, I remember The Sound of Music was was the only film on in Folkestone for eight weeks. It stayed there all summer. And, you know, we have been moving towards the fact when you go to the cinema, you've got a choice of eight films and those can't all be Marvel films. So there will always be a space in multiplexes for lots of different types of movies. And then you wait for hits, you know, and when hits comes, they will, you know, make a lot of money and a lot of people will go out to see them because not everybody who was going out wants to see a Marvel film. So, um, you know, and they, particularly, you know, older people like me will always want to see, as it were, films like The King's Speech and they'll want their night out and they'll want to see The King's Speech, not Avengers 17. Recently, a lot of people in the film industry, actors and actresses, have been speaking out about um, the effects we're having on the environment while, I guess, still contributing to what is one of the most carbon-intensive industries. I was wondering, as someone in the film industry, do you think it could be doing better on ESG matters? Well, look, again, in fact, it's funny you say that because I'm uh, they're having a meeting with Albert today, which is the thing that's been set up you know, by the film and TV industry to look into sustainability issues. So the very fact, you know, I think it's a good example of an industry that's really going to improve. Um, and the very fact that it's there. And on my last film, we had a sustainability officer on the set of the Danny Boyle film I did every day. And the person who was doing most to make the film more sustainable won a prize at the end of every week. So I do think we're going to be thinking about it more and more, thinking about less travel, less flying, uh, you know, all of those things. So I think that it's a classic example, in fact, of an industry where everyone wants to do the right thing. People are trying to work out how they can do it and it will move, you know, fast in that direction. And also people will, you know, like the Admiral thing on TV and, you know, in the movies that they make, you know, really start to look at how they can be part of selling the message. I was um, judging something called Flickers for the Future. And what it was is a big film competition for young filmmakers to make things that talk about sustainability um, and about climate as entertainingly as possible. So I've got a feeling you will see a lot of things where, you know, that becomes the central subject matter, as it was the central subject matter, you know, at the dinner table during lockdown. And what sort of things are being discussed what are people in industry proposing um, so that filmmaking be can become greener? Do you know, I actually, I really don't know the answer to that question. I mean, what I'm talking about with Albert today is their pensions, you know, is their investments. You know, I've been in touch with people who run music companies saying, you know, all of, the, all of your musicians would want you to have ethical investment, except perhaps the heavy metal people. Um, and that may be unfair. 
so uh, I, I, I mean, you, you'll, you will have to ask someone else that, but I do know that it's on everyone's mind. But do most um, Hollywood actors and actresses have pensions? I'm sure they do. And actually, one of the things that we're looking into is whether or not, uh, and make my money matter, is whether or not we can get private people to speak out. I mean, I'm not sure we will be able to. I think people are always a bit nervous about sort of publicizing their own financial arrangements um, because, you know, it's, it's odd to say talk to your financial advisor because most people don't have a financial advisor. So the real point about this campaign is talk to your employer and find out what you're doing and try and get a consensus amongst the staff that they'd like uh, an ethical pension. But I hope that, as it were, person by person, those people who are interested in, you know, climate and in trying to make sure, you know, the idea of a pension, which is meant to be the thing that gives you a happy retirement, contributing to a world which is full of wildfires and flooding and refugee chaos because of countries no longer becoming you know, agriculturally sustainable. It's, it, there's a real, you know, perfect mix between the idea of a pension trying to achieve a better world because it's something that you're going to be inheriting, you know, in a better world. Um, so I think that's one of the sweet spots in this campaign, that it's really, really logical that you should be saving for a better 2030, 2040, 2050. Okay, great. Um, well, thanks um, so much, Richard, for talking to me about how people can change the world with their pensions and maybe how the film industry could uh, do its part going forward. Well, I hope, I hope they're going to leap in. And, and look, you know, the, the really simple message for everyone listening, and you're, you're, you know, you will be, the people listening to this will know more about money than I do. But it, I, it really is a thing of look into it. You know, find out what's happening. See where the money is. See where the profit is. Get excited by the renewable, exciting businesses see whether or not we really, I think, have reached a moment where nobody can say, oh, look at someone else's job. I think that's the big thing that I'm noticing. My kids and people I talk to are suddenly realizing, oh, wait a minute, it is my job. You know, I'm not going to fly. I am going to look into my pension. And the thing about pensions, some, I think it was a Finnish research thing, worked out that moving your pension is 27 times more effective than, um, you know, going vegan, stopping flying uh, and using less water, as it were. It's, it is a slightly a magic bullet. So I hope that anyone listening to this will at least make a call or two. Okay, great. Well, just to tie um, everything up that we've been talking about, finally, I was wondering which Love Actually character would be the most on top of their pension investments? Oh, um most on well i'm hoping the prime minister would of course um move quickly with his government uh in order to make sure that we you know head in the direction of net zero um so he'd be the one who would have the most effect on it um but let me think who would actually i, I suspect that bill nye's character wouldn't be taking it very seriously alas uh, but i hope that emma thompson's character would well, maybe that was a love actually plot that never happened. But actually, it was quite funny. I was talking to someone who's writing a very successful sort of sitcom at the moment. And in that, I can't say what it is, but, you know, this is a slightly flaky girl who lives with a rather serious um, 
sister and she rang me the other day and said I'm thinking of making the sister obsessed by ethical pensions in the next series you know so that's what you really want you want it to become a subject of discussion do you think it's possible to talk about pensions in a comedy definitely because jokes about death have always been amusing okay great well yeah um, thanks so much again for your time um, it's great to catch up Oliver thank you very campaign. much thank you for asking me on um, and also you know thanks to the FT for their moral money they've been such supporters and that's been so interesting I believe that you know the success and engagement with it has taken everyone there almost by surprise um, and I think you guys are doing a great job of raising all these issues too so I'm really glad to have um, been able to come on and chat to you yeah it's only an issue we're keen to cover and I guess keen to cover going forward so okay um, go out cinema have fun <laughs> change your pension and go to the cinema that's the message it's a very didactic show great to talk when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.